0: Um, happy Sunday! If you are uh, new uh, here uh, this afternoon, or if you're you're tuning in online, I know we've got a number of people who are tuning in online this afternoon. I just want to say welcome. Uh, thank you for joining in with us. Uh, I'm uh, Pastor Chris. Uh, I'm the founding pastor of this church, and uh, it's just a privilege to be here with you guys this morning. Um, we I, I love that we have an opportunity for us uh, to participate in, in, in what. You know, Oscar just just talked about uh, Church Planting Sunday. We've never really done this as a network to where we've set aside uh, a day to just talk about and highlight some of the work uh, that we've been doing uh, as a church planting network. Uh, being part of Acts 29 is something that my wife and I uh, have personally benefited from. It's something that we feel especially indebted to, like the network, uh, because uh, they did some really good work with us uh, in the assessment process. Getting us ready to plant this church, uh, it made us. It, it was. It was made clear to us through that process that that Acts 29 is not only uh, a, a network that cares about gospel clarity, that cares about theology and doctrine, but it also cares a lot that that we're healthy. That our marriage was healthy, that I'm healthy, that our church is healthy. And it just, man, we've even been able to see that in spades just throughout the last couple of years, uh, as we've, uh, dealt with this, um, just the changes, uh, in, in our nation and particularly, uh, with, with COVID and being able to pull resources and get coaching as we've been transitioning through that. And it's just been an honor for us to be able to give uh, through Acts 29 to God's mission throughout the world. And so uh, I love that we get to highlight uh, videos like that this morning so that you guys can get this sort of picture, this glimpse of how God is working in and through uh, our network. And so um, I just praise God for that opportunity. Now, we're starting a new series today that we're calling The Hard Sayings of Jesus, The hard sayings of Jesus. And I'm really excited about getting this particular series started. If you know me, I get like super pumped and excited every time we start a new series, right? Like, and if you're new, it's helpful for you to know that our normal sort of flow and rhythm is to go through books of the Bible. Um, But today we're beginning uh, what we would call a topical series, through some of the more difficult passages in the New Testament. You see, when Jesus came to earth uh, a couple thousand years ago, the reason that he came was to be the Savior that our world needed. He came to be the Savior that our world needed because humanity in this world that we inhabit was broken and stained by sin. So he came to live the life that you and I could never live, a perfect, holy, and righteous life as a man. And he came to then die the death that we all deserve to die in our place for our sins. And in those last three years of his life, Jesus had what we call his public ministry. In other words, like most of what we read about Jesus's life in ministry in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, most of that happened in just the last few years of his life. He spent the first 30 years of his life just preparing for the work in ministry that, that God the Father had, had set apart for him to accomplish, And in those last three years of his life, from the age of 30 to 33, Jesus had his public ministry where he recruited his followers and disciples, where he traveled around the region, told all kinds of people about the kingdom of God, just the beauty of the kingdom, and and telling people and teaching them about who he was as the son of God. And everywhere he went, the scriptures say that crowds would sort of follow him. He'd go to this region over here, and the crowds would just follow him. He'd go over here, and they'd they'd follow him over that, there, right? They were just like following him on his speaking tour. People couldn't wait to hear him preach. There's a moment where after delivering one of his more famous sermons, the Sermon on the Mount, In Matthew 7, it says that his teaching is astonishing or amazing, some some translations say, and it was authoritative. It says there in Matthew 7, verse 28 and 29, that when Jesus finished these sayings, when he finished that sermon, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching as one who had authority and not as their scribes. You see, Jesus, he wasn't just a human being. He's God come down in human flesh. Who better to speak God's truth than God's son? Who's better to, uh, to explain and describe the kingdom of God and, and teach the truths of God than the one who is very, the very God in the flesh? And so Jesus was all about teaching the deep truths of God, who God was, his character and his nature, and what it means to follow him and to know him. And some of those teachings were what we might call hard sayings, meaning they were difficult to hear. And some were difficult because they were were hard to understand. Others were difficult because they were hard to swallow, like hard to obey, hard to live out. Maybe your experience is like mine is where when when you get to passage of Scripture like that, like you realize it's often both. Hard to understand, and then once you do understand it, you realize it's, it's hard to live out. Have you ever run across a sp- passage of Scripture like that? What do you do when you, when you come across a Scripture like that? Like often, we just, we just sort of bypass them, right? We just, we just skirt past them, or we'll like Google the answer, right? Try to figure out what, what, what it means. But I think the best thing for us to do is to to dig in to the Scriptures, to sort of wrestle with it, to seek to understand and then apply it to our lives. Like that's how we grow and that's how we get stronger. Like any of you who have worked out before, you know that like when you get into the work of doing the hard things, right? Like facing resistance as you go along in your exercises, those will only make you stronger. And one of our commitments to you as a church is is we want to help you to grow strong in your walk with Christ. We want to help you grow strong in Christ. And so let me pray for us, and then we'll go ahead and look at one of the first hard sayings uh, of Jesus. Father God, we thank you for this passage of scripture that we're about to walk through. We thank you that your your word has been given to us, that it's been inspired by you, that it's been preserved throughout decades and centuries to be studied, to be known, so that we could encounter you through your word. God, I love that you're a God who desires to be known. And that you don't just leave us hanging, trying to figure out how to know you, but that you've given us your word. And so Holy Spirit, we ask that as we read this text, that you help us to see and to understand and know and just experience the power of the living God. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen. So here's our first point from our text in John 16. The first point, the first thing that we see is that Jesus leaves, he leaves his disciples to send a helper, right? Let's, let's start reading those first couple verses again in John 16, beginning in verse five. Jesus is speaking and he says, now I'm going to him who sent me. He's talking to them about how he's gonna leave them. He's gonna leave this earth and go to him, the Father, God the Father, who sent him. And he says, And none of you ask me where are you going, but because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Now now what what is he talking about here? What's happening? The disciples are they're sad. They're more than bummed out. They're like grieved. They're sorrowful because Jesus had just spent the last few chapters, uh, beginning in, in, in John 14, he spent the last few chapters explaining to them, explaining to his disciples that he would have to now suffer and die and leave them. And they're having a hard time wrapping their minds around that because they've walked with him for the last few years. They're convinced that he's the Messiah that they've been longing for for generations, for centuries. They've heard him from his mouth. They heard him, they were with the crowds when he taught with the authority of God. They were present when he touched lepers and the blind and the deaf and performed these miracles. And now they're hearing Jesus say, I'm gonna go away. I'm gonna leave you. Not only gonna leave you, but I'm gonna suffer and die in order to leave you. And what's more remarkable is what he says next in verse seven. He says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. Some translations say it is for your good that I go away. It's like, what? I mean, imagine being one of those disciples. Thinking like, how is it to our advantage that you're gonna leave? How is it considering everything that we left to follow you knowing that you are the Messiah that has been promised from generations before, how is it to our good, for our good, to our advantage, that you're going to suffer, die, and leave us hanging? Like that statement landed hard on their ears. It was a hard saying for them. And he answers, how it's to their advantage in the rest of the verse. He says, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Now, who's he talking about? Who's this, this helper, this capital H helper? The helper that Jesus is speaking of is the Holy Spirit the third person of the Trinity. You've got God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. He's saying, if I don't go away, then the Holy Spirit will not come to you, but if I go, I'll send him to you. He's the helper. The Greek word there is parakletos. Parakletos, which is someone who, the sense of that word is that somebody who like comes alongside you, Right? So it's someone who's called to one side in order to, to help in order to assist or aid.? Right? Think of like a coach. right? Like that's, that's the job of a coach. It's somebody who comes alongside you and tell you like, hey, you're doing great. You're doing good. Or to tell you like, hey, you, you kind of need to pick it up. Come on, let's go, pick it up, Or to tell you, slow down, Don't hurt yourself. Jesus says, when I I go, when I leave, I'm I'm gonna send the Holy Spirit to help you in this mission that I've given you. This mission to live for the glory of God and for the good of others and make disciples who make disciples, plant churches that plant churches, this great commission, he will help you, he will assist you in that great mission, but not until I leave. And so he says, it's for your advantage. And so that leads us to our second point. Why is this for our advantage? Why specifically is it for our advantage? Again, in verse 7, he says, it's for your advantage that I go away. He says, I won't send the helper until I go away. And so it's actually better for you that I leave. Now, for years, Like I would look at this verse and I would think like, man, it'd be actually so much better and so much easier if Jesus just like kind of hung around, right? Like you're just think about it like that. Like it'd be so much better and so much easier to be like just one of those disciples where you got to walk around with Jesus everywhere he went, right? Like, like, how much easier would it be to be a follower of Jesus, an effective disciple of Jesus, if you got to actually physically walk around with him, right? Like, this temptation creeps into your, into your head. Jesus turns around to you and is like, huh? And you're like, oh, you got me, Lord, right? Or like, how hard would it be to go around making disciples, trying to share your faith with others, like, like, how difficult would it be if Jesus was actually there, right? Hey, like, I've, I've come to talk to you about my Lord Jesus, but you know he's actually right over here, right? Why don't you just take over the conversation, Jesus? Just, just tell him who you are. Do that, do that miracle thing, right? Like, this is Jesus. He can testify. He can, he can, he can do what he needs to do in order to convince that person. We're like any time that you serve, how much, how much more exciting and bold and confident would you be in serving with your gifts or giving your resources if Jesus was like right there with you? Right? Like I'm thinking about how much more secure I would feel as a preacher if Jesus was sitting right here. Like no one would fall asleep, right? Everyone would stay awake. Jesus says, see, this is better than that. This helper that's coming to you, the one that I'm going to send to you to aid and to assist, having him with you is better than me walking around with you. Do you believe that this afternoon? I almost said morning. (laughs) Do you believe that? Do you believe that it's to our advantage? Jesus says that it is. And so that begs the question, like what is it exactly that the Holy Spirit's gonna do? What is it that the Holy Spirit's gonna do for God's people that that, that, that Jesus says, like you gotta have this, it's to your advantage? That's point number three. What does the Holy Spirit do? Now the Holy Spirit If you you read the scriptures, the Holy Spirit does a lot of things, but the spotlight ministry of the Holy Spirit, which we see in these following verses, is to shine light on God's written word and on his incarnate word, Jesus. And why why is it that Jesus had to leave in order to send this helper? Verse 8, he says... He answers that question. He says, look, when he comes, he will convict the world. Verse eight, when the helper comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Now, have you ever found yourself in this situation where you feel like the pressure is on you to do that? Where you feel like, You're when you're talking to that person that you've been praying for, just wanting to share your faith with them, where you feel nervous, like it's on you to convict them of their sin. Just think like, man, like I'll I'll never get through to them unless I try really hard. But the Bible says Don't trust in yourself. It's not your job. The Bible says that when he comes, he, the helper, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Dwight Moody, D.L. Moody, he, he put it like this. He says the work of the spirit is to impart or to give life, to implant hope to give liberty, to testify of Christ, to guide us into all truth, to teach us all things, to comfort the believer and to convict the world of sin. See, that's the job of the Holy Spirit. And that doesn't mean that you don't, like, with with grace and with love and prayer and winsomely, doesn't mean that you don't call people that you love out like on their sin. But whether they're convicted by that truth is not up to you. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. How many of you have experienced the convicting ministry of the Holy Spirit in your own life. You see, some of us, we, we try to justify our sin. We try to explain why we fell into that temptation. We try to, um, uh, you know, come up with excuses, but then we're still convicted. Some of us act like we don't have a fear of the Lord. With enough, a long enough moment of silence, that conviction starts to settle in, doesn't it? See, that's what the Holy Spirit does. He convicts the world of sin. In verse 12, Jesus says, He will guide you into the truth. The Holy Spirit guides us in the truth. Verse 12, he says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. In other words, you can't handle them right now. Verse 13, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. What we see in these verses is that the spirit of God and the word of God are inseparable. They're inseparable. The spirit is the one who revealed truth originally to the, author, to the biblical uh, authors, right? We call that inspiration. And then from there, he reveals that truth as people read the word. We call that illumination. In Ephesians, we learn that the sword of the spirit is the word of God. I think some of us try to pit the spirit and the word against each other. And you've got people from both sides that do it. People who are more word heavy will, will try and separate the word and the spirit, right? They'll say things like, no, we're, we're more like word people, right? Like, we don't dabble in that crazy spirit stuff. We're, we're a word people, right? Or you'll have people on the other side that say, like, like, like no, we're, we don't hang in our ivory towers, like, uh, debating about theology. We're all about the spirit. We're all about feeling and experience. We create this dichotomy that doesn't exist in the scriptures, where we talk about the word and the spirit as, as two sides that are against each other. But what we see in the Scriptures is that wherever the Spirit of God is, you will see a love for the Word of God. And you'll see a right understanding of speaking and teaching that Word. Anytime you've got somebody that claims to be strong in the Word, but is devoid or is void of the, the, the humility and the dependence that comes with the spirit, then you're not rightly handling that word. Anytime you have somebody that claims to be filled with the Spirit, but are saying and claiming things that contradict the word, or that saying and, and claiming things as if the word isn't sufficient for life and for doctrine, then that's not really a work of the Spirit. Jesus also says that the Spirit is tied to just the people of God. The Holy Spirit is tied to, it's connected to the people of God. The Bible speaks of the Holy Spirit not only being beside us, but being with us, and even in us. Look, a few chapters earlier in John 14, Jesus said, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him, speaking to his disciples, for he dwells with you and will be, what? In you. He'll be in you. I want you to think about that. Think about that. He says the Holy Spirit This helper will be in you, in you, in us. You see, in the old covenant, the presence of God was confined to a place, a temple in Jerusalem. But in the new covenant, brought down into history through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, in the new covenant, the presence of God is found not in a place, but in a people, in a people. You see, in place of God's external presence that we had in a place or that we even had in Jesus, we now have his inner presence. Man, do you understand the significance of that? The significance of that? But do you know what that means? That means that as a Christian, you will never walk your Christian walk alone. Think about that. You will never walk walk, your Christian walk, you will never walk in your following of Jesus, walking in his ways. You will never do that alone. As you pursue a life of holiness, you will never walk alone. As you battle with anxiety and depression, you will never walk alone. When you feel lonely and abandoned, you are never truly alone when you're sharing the hope of your faith with a neighbor or family member, you are not alone. The helper is always with you, always in you. You might not feel that or sense that like emotively, but man, God is good on his promises. And he says he'll never leave you. Just a couple chapters earlier, Jesus said, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. See, the helper is always with you and in you, not as a replacement for Jesus, but as an amplifier of Jesus. Jesus said, I won't leave you. I'm gonna come to you. The power of Jesus, the presence of Jesus, comes to us and in us in the Holy Spirit. I know that's hard for our minds to to wrap around that, that truth. It's what theologians call the doctrine of perichoresis, which talks about how the Father, Son, and Spirit are in such union with one another in such indwelling community with each other that where one is, all three of them is. That's why Jesus can say things like the Father and I are one. You see, the presence of the Holy Spirit in us is as good as the presence of Jesus with us. And that's why it's to our advantage. Not just to your advantage individually, but to our advantage, our advantage as the church. Because not only is the ministry of Jesus confined geographically to whoever happens to be within earshot of him, but now the presence and power of Jesus stretches out through your hands, travels by your feet and is shared by the words on your lips. You see, the presence of God marks the people of God. So to review, what does the Holy Spirit do? It convicts the world, it guides us in the truth, and it's tied to the people of God, it marks the people of God. Now, there's still a question that's tied to just the, the difficulty of this saying that I think we need to ask, and that's number four. Why is it that Jesus had to leave in order to send the helper? Why did Jesus have to leave to send the helper? Couldn't he have just been like, I'm sending the helper like right now here in in this moment, like let's do this, right? Like why did Jesus have to do it that way? Couldn't, Couldn't the Holy Spirit have come in full power while Jesus was with them on earth? Have you ever thought of that? The answer is no. The Holy Spirit could not have come in full power while Jesus was on earth. And it's not because the Holy Spirit is lacking in ability but it has to do with the very role of the Holy Spirit. You see, because the Holy Spirit, because the full power of the Holy Spirit is a power that is not just like abstract. It's a specific power. The ministry and power of the Holy Spirit is a power that is Christ-exalting. It's a power that is gospel applying. It's a power that is resurrection infused. It's new covenant fulfilling. So that means that that power, the Holy Spirit's power is based upon the death, resurrection and ascension and sovereign rule of Jesus Christ. All of those things had to happen in human history. They needed to take place in redemptive history before the Holy Spirit could work in the way that he was intended to. Here's what John says about it in verse 16. Jesus is speaking and he says, he, the helper, will glorify me for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Jesus is saying the Holy Spirit will glorify me, the son of God, for he will take what's mine and declare it to you. See, the Holy Spirit glorifies Christ in all that he does, right? Some people think that the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to make you awesome. No, the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to glorify Christ, to glorify Christ's victory, his power over Satan's sin and death through the cross and resurrection. Here's how Paul puts it in 2 Corinthians 3. He says that we all with unveiled face, in other words, the veil is up. We can see it clearly now. We all with unveiled face beholding the glory of God are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. You see, Paul adds to the idea that we're being changed into the likeness of Jesus by gazing at Jesus. That's what beholding means. And then he adds, for this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. You see, that's the essential ministry of the Holy Spirit. He lifts the veil. And he causes us to gaze, to see, and to savor the glory of Jesus Christ. And through that, through the glory of Christ in the gospel, through that, he transforms his church. He transforms Jesus' church and his people more into the likeness of Jesus. You see, that's why Jesus had to leave in order to send The helper. Because it wasn't just his life that mattered. It wasn't just his authoritative teachings that mattered, his powerful miracles, but it was his life and his death and his resurrection and his ascension to the right hand of the Father. All those things mattered. So Jesus said, hey, look, once that's done, once I'm there, man, I'm going to be at the right hand of the Father, and I'm going to be praying for you by name. And I'm going to be sending the Holy Spirit, the helper, to not only come alongside you, but to be in you, to accomplish the things in you and through you that I'm going to be praying for you. That's why it is to your advantage so what do we do with this today? We'll close with a few thoughts on how this applies to us today. How do we apply this today? First, we have a posture of humility. Posture of humility. If you really recognize the power of the Holy Spirit working in you and through you, then you will naturally have this posture of Humility because you'll recognize that we don't achieve anything on our own. We don't achieve anything that truly matters, that truly lasts on our own. We only do it by the spirit. Any hope we have for growth is by the spirit. So he will bring glory to Jesus through you, through us. Like Sometimes I feel totally inadequate for the things I believe that God has called me to. Sometimes I feel totally inadequate just to live the Christian life. Like I, I, I love sitting uh, with just friends of mine. Like I have a bunch of friends that are pastors and like theology professors. I used to sit um, on the board of uh, Truth Exchange. It's like this... Uh, reformed uh, theology uh, apologetics think tank uh, out of Escondido. Um, When I was on the board, I was like the youngest guy and like the least credentialed person in the room. And I'd be sitting there as with the rest of the board and like some of the professors that they have to come speak at like these think tank symposiums that we would have. And they're like, talking about, like, the latest uh, controversies in theology and New Testament cri- uh, textual criticism. And, like, I barely knew some of the words they were using. I wasn't even sure if they were, like, English words, right? Like, they're all talking shop with each other, talking theology, and I'm just like, hey, did anyone see, like, Godzilla versus King Kong this month? <laughs> right? It's on HBO right now. Like, I can... I can, I just, I can look at my own sins and I can look at my own doubts. I can look at my own inadequacies and think like, look, I can't do this. I can't hang with these people. I can't, I don't even know what I'm doing here. But God says, God says, look, it's not about you. It's not about you. It's about the glory of Jesus. It's about his glory through you. The Holy Spirit's going to come, and he's going to change your life completely, and he's going to accomplish great things through you. Sure, you might have gifts, but remember that those gifts are gifts of the Spirit. And so we have great reason to be humble. There's a Puritan minister by the name of Richard Baxter who, like, God did a lot of wonderful things through him as a pastor and as a theologian and author. And he's known for speaking of himself as a pen in God's hand. I love the way he says that. He says, I'm just a pen in God's hand. And he asks, What praise is a do a pen? You don't praise the pen, you praise the writer. You see, you recognize that when the Holy Spirit is in you and through you, it humbles you. We remain humble. The second posture we should have is a posture of dependence. A posture of dependence where we remember that there's no true growth in life without the work of the Spirit. There's no true work in the, or, or growth in the Christian life without the work of the Spirit enlightening us and strengthening us. We are dependent on the spirit for that. The way this is reflected practically in our lives is by the way we participate in spiritual disciplines, right? Like, do you pray? Do you pour over the word of God? Is your life marked by habits and rhythms? A daily liturgy that shows and displays your dependence on the Holy Spirit of God. Where we are so aware of the inability for there to be any real spiritual growth apart from the Spirit, that we're constantly crying out, praying, seeking after God for Him to be at work through us. We see that this Truth here, this impacted Paul's own prayers for the church. In Ephesians 1, he's praying for the church in Ephesus, and he says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? You see, Paul prays that way because he knows that for this church to have any hope of having the eyes of their heart enlightened, in other words, if if they have any hope to even just see the truth of God, to see the beauty of the gospel, to know the wonder of the hope that is theirs, then the Spirit needs to be at work because they're dependent on that. And so we get on our knees in dependence upon God. We have a posture of dependence, knowing that we never graduate from our need of His grace. Lastly, we have a posture of confidence a posture of confidence. The work of the Spirit, the work of the Spirit will also make us confident as believers. We can't convict people of their need for Jesus, but the Spirit can and he will. We can't manufacture unity in the church, but the Spirit can and will. You see, culture teaches us that comfort comes from within us. That confidence comes from within us. So find that beast within. But the Bible teaches us that true confidence, lasting confidence, deep confidence, comes from outside of us. And it's this weird sort of paradox where that confidence in the spirit makes us, where if we have confidence in the spirit, We have confidence in ourselves and our work because we know that God is at work in us and through us. It's like Paul says to the church in Philippi, work out your salvation with fear and trembling because you know, you know, you're assured that God is at work in you. And so look, I want us to pray. I want us to pray with a posture of humility, a posture of dependence, and with bold confidence. I want us to pray for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit in our lives. look, I know some of us here are like super uncomfortable with that language, the outpouring of the Spirit, but that language is in the scriptures. You know what? Some of us, especially if our background is more conservative in our theology, we have an aversion to this kind of language. But when we read the Bible and when we read about what the Holy Spirit does and how He empowers us, how could you not want more than that? Look, I think it's good and right and applaudable to have an aversion to some of these things that people claim is a work of the Spirit. But just kind of like makes them look nuts and focuses the attention on themselves and on their movement. I mean, when you, but on the other hand, when you look at your own life, when you read what the scriptures say about how the Holy Spirit works, and then you go from there and take stock of your own life, my guess is is that the result, your result would be similar to mine, where you realize, man, there's more of this that I need. I know there's more that I need. More of this outpouring that I need. And it's not about, it's not about feeling or emotions or experience, but it is still something that is supernatural something that it's not driven by experience, but it's still experienced. And you just say, look, there's gotta be more to this. There's gotta be more to what God can do in me and through me. So I want us to spend some time right now praying for exactly that. And my heart is that this is, this is a, a, a prayer and a posture that would echo and reverberate for you throughout this year as you seek to walk in the spirit. Could you pray with me? God, we, we want more of the spirit. We want more of your power in our lives. We want to experience more of your presence, more conviction of our sin, more assurance of your truth. We want more of you, more of the gospel, more of your presence in us, and more of the great commission accomplished through us. And so, Lord, where there is pride in us, would you remove it and make us humble? Where there is exertion and self-righteous effort, would you remove that and make us dependents? to abide in Christ, dependent to rest and trust in you. And where there is fear and doubts and apathy, where we're believing the lies of the enemy, would you silence his lips and give us a bold confidence in the Spirit, with the desire to bring glory to Jesus in all that we are, in all that we desire, and in all that we do. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the King's Cross Church Podcast. We'd like to encourage listeners to be part of the local church gathering. If you're ever in the Orange County, California area, we'd love it if you come by and visit on a Sunday morning. For meeting times and locations, or any other information about us, please visit kx.church. There's no .com in that, just kx.church. Thanks again for listening.